And we welcome everyone joining us for another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. I'm Jason Ross. What a week. What a show we have for you this week on the podcast. It is Causeway Week. It is the final game of the regular season. The postseason is on the horizon, and the Hornets are chasing a perfect year. They got their rivals in town. Oh, we got a big show for you. Coming up on the podcast today, we'll recap the win over Portland State. We will visit with our sideline reporter, Danny Sullivan. We will visit with quarterback senior Jake Dunaway. We will check in with Scott Marsh, the play-by-play voice of the UC Davis Aggies, to give us a preview of the causeway. All of that is coming your way and, and a little bit more as well before we wrap this one up. But let's jump right to it. The Hornets get to 10-0. and Perfect road season. It was a cold, dark, windy, slightly rainy night in the great Northwest in Portland, but Sacramento State had to take care of business. After all those tough games in a row, they had a game where they were the heavy favorite, and they looked like the heavy favorite. They controlled the game early, but had a few too many turnovers, some sloppiness each side. Hornets would score early. Asher O'Hara would find Pierre Williams, put the Hornets up 7 nothing after one quarter. Second quarter, Kyle Sinkowski would boot a field goal to put the Hornets up 10 nothing, And then Jake Dunaway would find Pierre Williams yet again. Dunaway, play action fake, back to throw, looks to the back of the end zone, wide open, it's caught, Pierre Williams, touchdown Hornets. He was dragging across the back of the end zone, there were two defenders there, Pierre just outran them, caught it, extended his arms, and it's in for the end zone and a score, 16-0 Hornets. So it was really good to see Pierre Williams get on track for a couple of scores and over 100 yards, having one of his best days of the seasons, had such an amazing Hornet career. So the Hornets up 17-0, looking really good. And what they do so well is adding on. Before halftime, Asher O'Hara would go for his longest run of the season. Two receivers to the right. Pierre Williams comes in off the sideline. He'll be on the Hornet sideline to the left. Asher O'Hara in at QB. Four minutes left before halftime. Hornets will snap this from the Viking 39. Fulcher goes in motion. They fake the end around to him. O'Hara on the move. He's got a running lane. He'll take it. He's out to the 30. He's to the 25. 20. Down the sideline. There goes Asher O'Hara for a Hornet touchdown of 39 yards. Everything was beautiful on that play. Downfield blocking for him. You had Ivan Garza getting all the way downfield. Also, Troy Stiefel, another one of the offensive linemen, going the distance with him. Just a tremendous offensive line for the Hornets. Slater Weldon also on that offensive line with Mejia. 39-yard touchdown run by Asher O'Hara. Hornets lead 23-0. He keeps his rushing streak alive. Every game this season he has scored on the ground. His 17th rushing touchdown snap comes in. Extra point on the way. Extra point is good. 24-0 Sacramento State with the lead. So 24-0 Sacramento State at this point looking good, feeling good, and just basically trying to play Injury-free the rest of the game. They would start the third quarter the way they normally do with the ball. They open up the second half the right way by adding on. First and goal. Hand off to Fulcher. Oh, what a cut. What vision. He went right, went left, gets into the end zone. Touchdown, Hornets. They did that in a minute and ten and extend the lead to 30 to nothing. So after a field goal by Portland State that finally got him the board, it's 31-3, Hornets. Marcus Fulcher would do it again. Parker Clayton goes in motion. O'Hara on an option. He'll pitch it to the outside to Fulcher. Good decision. Fulcher, first down and more. 25, 20, still on his feet, 15. Takes it to the 10. He's to the 5. He's to the goal line. He is in for a touchdown from 35 yards out. Fulcher gets into the end zone again on the option play. O'Hara found him, and Fulcher did the rest. Beautiful run. 
Sacramento State now leads 37-3. Ultimately, we take you into the fourth quarter. Hornets up 38-10. We've already heard from special teams with Kyle Sinkowski making a field goal. But how about the return game? The Hornets very alert here on this onside kick. Here we go. The Hornets have eight up front, two 10 yards past that. Onside kick is coming. It's well delivered. Hornets oh! pick it up. Marshall da, Martin's going to take it the distance. Da, 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 da. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. Martin on one hop, and then no one was there in his way. Touchdown, Sacramento State. The second time this year, the Hornets have fielded an onside kick and taken it back for his score. Scadaboo before, he dragged about 10 defenders with him. This one was easy for Marshall Martin. So all that's left is to wind down the clock and think about a 10-0 start. 10-0 is 18 seconds away. This will be more wins than the two Big Sky co-champion seasons. Mm-hmm. Hornets had nine wins in 2021 last year, and they had nine wins in 2019. So this is the most wins ever for the Hornets. Snap taken by Jake Dunaway. He takes a knee, and that's going to do it. There's five seconds to go. The team's coming out on the field to greet one another, and it is a perfect road season. It's been a perfect regular season so far. The Hornets are now 10-0 and for the first time in school history. They keep adding to their total in the second team ever in Sacramento State history to get to 10 wins. The last one to do it was the 1988 Hornets. The Hornets have another regular season game to go. It's the Causeway next week, and the playoffs on the horizon. They back up their number two ranking. They win convincingly. Guys down here with head coach, head coach Troy Taylor. Six wins, complete on the road, road victories this season, and short week. The team still performed very well. Absolutely, we were ready to play. Our guys had a great week of practice on. Uh... One less day, as you said, we had to practice on Monday, and they did a great job of getting themselves ready. Really good plan by our coaching staff, and they came out and played well. Your offensive line and, and your running backs, let's, let's, a quick thing. Single-season rushing record this season with 10 games. Your offensive line and all your running backs and everyone, such a team effort. Hadn't been done in such a long time in Hornets. Yeah, proud of our guys. Obviously, it all starts up front. With the O-line and the tight ends, our wide receivers block their butts off. Our quarterbacks do a great job in the running game, and we got incredible running backs. So, yeah, really proud of us uh, to be able to establish the, the run game and, um, you know, enjoy this, get a little off day, and then get ready for the causeway. Yes, big week, and hope everyone comes out. Congratulations on the victory. Thanks, Danny. Singers up. All right, so that was then. This is now. we got to look ahead to the next matchup. It is Sacramento State and UC Davis. We're going to do that coming up with Jake Dunaway, also with Scott Marsh. But let's start first with our sideline reporter, Danny Sullivan, works with us each and every week, working down on the field in the trenches with the team. And Danny, let's kind of start with the elements because that's what you have to endure. I think back to September when you're dealing with just outrageous temperatures, heat and sweat and short sleeves to the last couple of weeks at Weber and at Portland State where you're bundled up in beanies, gloves, extra layers uh, I guess my first question for you is, uh, are you finally warm after that weekend in Portland? Jason, I have to be honest. I just got warm <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. It takes some time. I, and I, I missed the Weber game, as you know, and I, I mm-hmm. felt like I had to ask you and Steve, like the temperature check, because I was brutally cold in in Portland. And you both said Portland was colder than Weber, wasn't it? It was. It, it was strange temperature-wise. It was colder in Weaver, but just the wind and everything in Portland this last weekend was just just brutal. 
I mean, I was borrowing hand warmers from the equipment manager, and and, and so were the refs on the sideline, and and they had the heaters going, and it was it was just a different environment this last week and the last two weeks that we just haven't seen in a while. Yeah, and then we should have good conditions. Might be it might be cool, but good conditions coming up for the big game Saturday. I'll, I'll get into that with you in a minute, but. Your your position on the broadcast is different than Steve and I. We've got kind of an up top view. We get to see plays develop, but you're down there in the trenches. You get to hear things, feel the atmosphere a little bit better than we get to. Um, if someone wasn't following the program and said, "Hey, Danny, why is this team ten and zero?" What would you tell them? I would tell them it's because they're always together. They do everything together. They support each other. And, you know, when something wrong happens, you know, they will work with each other to make sure they, you know, figure out what happened. But there's always the support there for each and every player. And from the coaches on down, equipment staff, everyone, they're all part of everything that's going on. So good, bad, and different, they're supporting each other. And I think that's one of the biggest difference in how this team has been able just to continue on the streak that they're on. And I feel like they pay such attention to detail. There was a pretty good nugget you had for us during the broadcast last game where uh, we weren't sure why there was a penalty or a review. And basically you got word that it came down from the coach or came from the press box from the coach's office or coach's booth, excuse me, down to the field to say, hey, look, they need to look at that play because I think there were 12 players on the field. I I feel like the, the coaches and the players never take a playoff. They don't. And 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 that's what's, what's so great about being there on the sidelines, you feel everything that's going on and, uh, and their their attention to detail on everything. Now we didn't catch that on the field and it was just something you, we, you know, the punt was coming and you just prepared for the defense to go back out on the field and up in the booth, uh, coach Bobby Frescas saw that there was 12 players and was able to radio down and tell the tell the coaching staff to ask you know, first take the time out and ask for a review for them to recount the players on the field. And surprisingly they did it. I, I mean, I would think after the play that the reps wouldn't have looked at it, but they did. And then they, they found that there was 12 players on the field. There was a player still trying to get off the field. And what's surprisingly from what I've heard, what I heard was that it was kind of visible. So I mean, it was, if he saw it, the ref should have thought so, but I'm glad they did catch it and were able to make that change and and got the offense back out on the field because we were on a fourth and five at that time. Yeah, I know one of the best parts of your job and one of the main functions can be of your job is to report injuries. Fortunately, this year, Danny, there hasn't been a ton of that, and I don't know if that's a credit to the training staff, a credit to less contact during the week, but. Thankfully, Danny, we haven't had to go down to you uh, to the field for as many injury reports this year. That has been a great part of the season. Uh, and then it's something that we have to look at as been a, a, a bonus. The strength and conditioning staff has been great, and our trainers have done a great job with the players. And the players that have been hurt that you've seen during the game are usually something minor, and they've been able to either be able to come back and or it's like, hey, it's not worth it, we're – we're up. There's no sense in rushing them back in. You know, just let them rest up and prepare for next week's game. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to our strength and conditioning staff and the trainers, uh, led by uh, Matt Davy, and 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 it's been great to have this this great staff working with our team this year. 
Yeah, it really takes all of them. I mean, it does. You have to have good players, good coaches, good staff, the whole the whole crew. Um, and that's what's going on right now to see this team at 10-0. and 0. And I look at them offensively, Danny. I look at them defensively and then certainly special teams. This is a good unit. And when I think of special teams, a lot of people think of you because they think of you back behind the goalposts. <laughs> The many uh, celebrations of Danny Sullivan behind the goalposts. Uh, how much fun do you have watching Kyle Sinkowski boot those 30, 40, 50 yarders through the uprights? It's a pleasure. I, I, I go over and I thank him for being him. And, you know, the whole crew of them, long snapper, the holder, and, and, and Kyle, these guys do such a great job on the sidelines. They're always together. and They're always working on this technique and everything. And then just to get behind there and watch them kick, you know, I feel like as soon as you say, I hear you say the ball's been snapped, I'm ready to put my arms up just because he's just so accurate. And uh, sometimes you just go, it's just it's just an amazing uh, thing that they do together. Just he, they're just there. Their kicks are just there. Yeah. It makes my job a lot easier. A lot easier. <laughs> How many people tell you that they watch you now behind the goalposts? Uh, most of the sideline, uh-huh. uh, coaching staff. I see. They said we kind of look, we glance, see what you say, and then we what you're gonna what you do, and then we you know we're moving on to the next thing, or waiting for the team to come off the field so we can high five them. So we do the quick look at you, see your reaction, and then okay, let's move. You know, we're moving on. I got to ask you too. For I mean, look, you, me, and Steve, we've all done this a long time. We've all been friends. It would be. It's enjoyable, obviously, what, to be all together and around the Hornet people, the relationships we've made, if they were 0-10, but it's way more fun watching what they're doing. How much are you personally enjoying this season? I'm enjoying this a lot, Jason. It, it's just been fun. It's, it's fun as, as we say. We're, always, we're, we're people watchers. We're, 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 we're always seeing what others are doing, and the joy has been watching everyone else involved. Just uh, just working hard and being together and doing what they love to do, you know. We sit in the back of the bus hmm. on our on our bus trip, and with the you know we got the the graduate assistants, we got the video crew who sit back there, and, you know. And after a game, you know, these guys are just going at it, talking about stuff, <laughs> and they've got their laptops out, and they're and they're already working on the next game's film stuff to be ready for the coaches, and just. Just going through stuff, having a great time. I, I think we had a weird conversation this week and talking about cheese curds. Yes. Kind of, and I was like, where did that come from? Hey. But, you know, it's just a lot of fun just being involved and watching everyone just, just working hard for this team, and, and, it's, and it's just great to see. Hey, Danny, what happens on bus three stays on bus three. <laughs> <laughs> we can't let out all the secrets. Um <laughs> So this week, uh, the the thing that, um, well, you personally have kept Steve and I on track. You know, if we're, it's week four, and Steve and I are already wanting to talk about the playoffs, and you're like, guys, cool it. Um, but also, we always are looking ahead to UC Davis. And I, what I'm amazed by the coaching staff and the players is they truly approach it game by game. I don't know how they do it because I, I have a hard time with it. But uh, just curious your thoughts on on what now proves to be a really great game. The Hornets do know they will go to the playoffs. We don't even need to talk about that. But they're going there. Davis might be, but they probably need to win. I, I think this just sets up for an awesome game on Saturday. I think we are, Jason. And what's been so wild about watching Davis this season, yes, they had that tough schedule in the beginning. But we have talked about it off and on between ourselves and others that their schedule got a little easier as we got into the last five weeks or so, and and if they could make a run, 
they had an opportunity to get back into this playoff race, and that's what's going to be so exciting about this week. Last week they beat up on Idaho, which which Sac State beat a few weeks ago, and I think that surprised a lot of people across the country and gave them an opportunity for this week to be that important. But we knew this game was always going to be important from the beginning of the season because it always is. It's a rivalry game. And, you know, Davis is playing great, but so are the Hornets. And I think it's going to be an exciting game this Saturday, and uh, I just can't wait. Yeah, there's a lot at stake here, really, for both sides. The Hornets trying to catch that uh, perfect season, trying to get their best possible seed. Davis trying to get into the postseason. And the other part that's been personally cool for me, Danny, this year is just to watch the support. I know you and I uh, see the crowds literally grow, but you and I also have shared that the amount of people that now are calling you or me for tickets or interest or asking about the team, I think that's one of the best parts about this success this team has had the last couple of years. And I would totally agree with that. It's been fun. Just uh, people that surprised me that I didn't know that they even knew first that I worked, I did this with Sac State, but who actually been following the team and then found out that I worked with the team. And, it, and it's been kind of pretty exciting to walk in on a Monday morning these, this past year and people going, wow, that game was, you know, amazing. Oh, you know, that game was boring. You guys really hurt, you know, beat them up. It was like, you were actually watching? Oh, yes, been watching, listening, and, uh, it even got me to got a, a subscription to ESPN, ESPN Plus. I was nice. like, wow. So, you know, it's it's been great to, to, that the community is finally coming around to see how well college football is here in Sacramento and the team that we have here at Sac State. And, and it's, it's been a fun ride. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to it, Danny. We're looking forward to Saturday. Are, are you uh, coming? I'm ready to be picked up now. Let's just go over to the stadium right now. I drove over past the stadium today, this morning on my way in, and I was like, okay, um, I could just wait here. <laughs> so I think we should just, you know, maybe Friday go camp out and, and just wait yeah. for the tailgate. I mean, Steve's and, threatened with this RV for years. Let's let's get in the RV and you, me, and Steve just hang out like midweek till till game time. Yeah, yeah, I can work. I can work remotely. Yeah, <laughs> the rest of the week. Exactly. It's gonna be yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be fun. Dandy, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you Saturday. We'll see you Saturday, Jason. All right, my thanks to Dandy Sullivan. Of course, you could check him and Steve out this weekend with me on the radio call for Sacramento State and UC Davis. But now let's hear from the quarterback, Jake Dunaway. Last week, we talked to Asher O'Hara. This week, we check in with Jake Dunaway. He's got a ton of experience. He's been a great Hornet. And I start here by asking Jake how his overall experience at Sacramento State has been. You know, I've really loved my time here. Uh, you know, really thankful for the opportunity and Coach Taylor and his staff for bringing me in. Um, you know, I bounced around a little bit, went to Davis, redshirted there, went to junior college in San Diego, and then, uh, you know, got my opportunity here. But ever since I've been here, it's been nothing but love um, and support from the coaching staff um, to get you ready, both physically, mentally. Uh, to play and it's just been a heck of a ride so a lot of fun I've asked a lot of your teammates and everybody's had a similar answer but there's been little offshoots in this um why do you think you guys are 10-0 not just I mean you're, you're playing Davis you could go to a perfect season why has it worked so well for you guys I think because you know we have a lot of experience uh but I think a lot of the guys just kind of understand our potential as a team uh we're very close-knit group a lot of chemistry um, and a lot of the veteran guys are bringing along the younger guys, um, which which helps, you know, in the locker room. 
and then we have an amazing coaching staff. Uh, they've done nothing but win since they've been here, and they've done nothing but win everywhere they've been. So uh, really trusting in their system um, because obviously it works. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just believing in one another at the end of the day. You guys have to have this confidence because – for the most part, you guys are ahead of a lot of games, but the couple games, the last couple or a few weeks back to come back on Montana, to come back on Idaho, what did wins like that do for the confidence? Uh, you know, those wins are huge, just big wins in the conference, uh, big wins, you know, as far as nationwide standings and things like that. But I think it's more important to, you know, teach the team that, you know, we can, you know, battle back from adversity. So being being able to be tested and work through some challenges you know if you're just steamrolling teams you know you get to the playoffs and you you get in those close games you know you need to know that guys are going to respond and I think that those challenges have helped us realize what kind of team we are you know we're able to be gritty and uh, fight through some adverse challenges because every game's going to have up, ups and downs so um, you know we're happy to get those wins obviously um, but I think it really is just beneficial for us going forward. So when you ultimately chose Sacramento State, you mentioned your journey bouncing around a little bit. I'm sure you couldn't have envisioned it going this well as far as how well you have played, how well the team has played. But what kind of brought you here? What, let's take us back to, to your decision to come to the Hornets. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I never imagined being here. Um, obviously, it was kind of a match made in heaven when I realized it was the Folsom coaches. I went to St. Mary's in high school. So, um you know, I had a connection with them, had played Folsom before. Um, my junior college coach was friends with Bobby Frescas, my quarterback's coach now. Uh, so there was a bit of a connection there. Um, and I was really going to junior college, obviously, to try to find any opportunity. And when, when the Sac State coaches came knocking and they were looking for somebody, you know, pretty quickly, they wanted some somebody to commit and come in and, you know, be a factor for their team. Um, it seemed like a great uh, opportunity and, and great match for me, not only because I'm a Northern California kid, obviously. Um, so I was able to come back home, be close to my family. My family could come watch the games and, and whatnot. But, you know, I took a visit out here, and the moment I got here, I knew that the players were genuine. I knew the coaches were genuine and being close to home. So um, I was just ready to get to work. I want to go into the quarterback room. It seems like you guys are really tight-knit. We know you and Asher are close, but between Caden and, and Dorian and then Bobby Frescas, what's that room like on a week-to-week basis? Oh, it's great. You know, when I first came in, I was kind of the new guy, you know, with Kevin Thompson and Tristan Meyer, Roman Ale, Jack Rice. So, you know, now the room is completely different, and I'm the only one that, you know, is left. So, you know, I've taken those other guys under my wing, kind of, so to speak, and uh, the coaching staff's done a really great job of bringing in, you know, amazing people first and foremost. Obviously, they're great players, but great people, and uh, they love the game. And like you said, we're really, really close, really, really tight. And Coach Frescas and Coach Taylor are, you know, arguably the best coaches any quarterback could ever imagine. So uh, we have a lot of fun, but we also learn a lot of football. And, you know, we definitely are prepared week in and week out. Uh, for the opponents we're going to face. And, you know, I think we've got the best quarterback room in the country, so I've been blessed in that way. How would you describe Coach Taylor as a play caller, as an offensive mind? Um, he's super competitive but can be mellow but can get after you guys. He, he's got a really interesting mix, but how would you describe him? Yeah, he's really balanced for sure, but just an overall genius when it comes to football. You know, he 
focuses on football 24 hours of every day and you know he's always drawing plays always trying to find ways for us to get better always trying to find ways to put especially the quarterbacks in in ways to be successful so um he loves it and he loves us and we love it and we love him so every time when we're in his office and we're going through plays and we're going through cut-ups and new installs you know it just seems like he's already seen it work which is so crazy because you know he's He's drawn up plays for the first time, like, you know what? Like, I've watched their film a million times, and this is going to work. And, you know, we go out in the game, and very first time we run it, it's a touchdown. So you have a lot of respect for, for that. And, you know, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time, and, uh, you know, you kind of just got to trust him. When someone – I've heard, like, NBA player, like maybe Michael Jordan, if he tried to come back and coach, like, do as I do. Well, no one can be like you. When he sees things like that can you see it in the same way that he's explaining it or is it sometimes hard to follow no i i definitely do and i think it's you you know we're going over the cut up and he'll be like oh do you guys like this and we're all just smiling because we know like <laughs> yeah. okay we know exactly what you're thinking and um it's nice to have you know both of our coaches have played quarterback before so that's a huge help for us is they kind of understand what we're going through what we see um you know obviously having the football IQ of what will work against different defenses. Um, so having their knowledge and their experience playing our position is, is huge for us as players, um, and it gives us a lot of confidence for sure. Have you reminded Coach Frescas that you've passed a lot of his records? I think he did more reminding of me. <laughs> you know, we joked around a little bit about it, but, um, you know, none of that would, would work without him. So a lot of that credit goes to him uh, for sure, and he was a great player, and, you know, I attribute all a lot of my success to him, and um, obviously it's cool, and we talk about it a little bit, jokes here and there, but, you know, I feel like I've got a lot more in the tank to go, and, you know, just looking forward to the next one. When you think back to your personal highlights, I, one of my favorite moments for you was uh, when you had to come in and in for Kevin Thompson, the uh, Northern Arizona comeback, which is was one of the great ones, but what do you reflect on as some of your, your best individual moments as a Hornet? Uh, that one for sure, because obviously, you know, you have to be locked in, you know, in a backup role. And that was my first game I had ever started, you know, at, at this level. So, you know, having those nerves and, and not really knowing whether or not you can do it, but having trust in the system and then the, your team having trust in you. Um, that moment was was big because, you know, it led us to another Big Sky title. Um a lot of momentum but I think all of last year really was was a highlight for me it was it was somewhat surreal mm -hmm. uh, just kind of being in that position me and Asher kind of sharing time and trying to navigate through the season and, and having a lot of success both individually and as a as a team um, you know it was just a lot of fun obviously knowing that you can continue the success from being a backup to then being a starter and you know still having those same high expectations so um, that was that was the biggest highlight for me, for sure. How did Coach Taylor and or Coach Frescas approach you and Asher about, hey, we're going to go with both of you guys. That's unique. It's now beyond work. It's obviously it's working, but kind of those initial conversations like, hey, Jake and Asher, we're going to end up playing both of you guys. Yeah, I do. Once, you know, Kevin left that, you know, our QB room was really, really light and they were going to want to bring somebody in. And they were very open and honest and transparent with me about, you know, trying to go find somebody who can come in and compete. Um, and I was fired up. I wanted somebody to come in and, and push me. Um, so when they brought in Asher, um, you know, I noticed really quickly that he was all about football as well. And he's a family guy as well. So he was here to kind of, you know, play football and, you know, get get a degree, kind of same thing I was kind of doing. And he's a great guy. Um, so 
the competition was great. We, we had a really good summer, really good fall camp together. Um, you know, I tried to bring him along with me, and I kind of realized that very quickly that, you know, we both had different skill sets and that we both could bring a lot to the team. So I think the coaching staff realized that as well, and they kind of sat us both down at the same time and said, hey, you know, you guys are both doing great, and we honestly don't know what's the best decision here. Um, so they they were kind of like we're gonna we're gonna roll with both of you guys. So we didn't know if it was gonna be a quarter by quarter thing, half by half, game by game. But you know we were okay with it because we both knew we kind of deserved it. So uh, you, I think the main thing with us and buying into that whole system was just having each other's back and knowing that coach is gonna put us in you know in positions where we are gonna be able to showcase our strength. And I think it's really worked seamlessly this year. Uh, last year, obviously it wasn't easy at first, but. The more and more we've done it, I think the more comfortable we've gotten. So, You guys obviously know that you're both playing, but it might even be you might play 10 plays in a row. Then you might not be in for two series. It might even be, I think last week at Portland State, there might have even been a timeout and you weren't in, and then out of the timeout, then you guys rotate. I mean, you literally have to be ready for every play, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it helps that practice. He does the plays that I normally would run in the game. And at practice, I'm doing a lot of the plays that he would normally run in the game. So regardless of who's in there, I think Coach Taylor has confidence in his entire playbook. Um, and if one of us were to go down, you know, the offense wouldn't change. So I think that's really important and makes us a little bit more dynamic. But you definitely have to, you know, stay ready because it could be every single play you're going in and out, in and out. And they expect, you know, the offense to keep rolling and the ball to keep moving. And that's obviously what we want. And, you know, Asher knows that I have full confidence in him when he's in there and vice versa. So um, I think that's really helped our offense. And obviously the buy-in from the team as well. You know, the team doesn't really even know what quarterback's in there. Right. As you can imagine, the O-line's not looking back there to be like, who's who's taking the snap or who's throwing the ball, who's running the ball? So, um just trying to be as consistent and efficient as possible. Uh, I think that's really the goal of any offense. What would you say about Asher? How would you describe him as a QB? Oh, gosh. There's, he's a walking highlight. As you can see, you know, from watching any game, he's either jumping over a guy, spinning, ducking under somebody, um, you know, throwing a deep ball, a dime. Uh, but he's just a great leader, you know. He loves football. He's very passionate about it. Um, He's a little quieter sometimes, you know, but he definitely can get guys behind him. Um, and I think that just really comes from his, his passion and his love for the game. He's one of those guys that's very resilient, will never give up. But, yeah, just a walk-in highlight. The dude does things that I couldn't imagine doing. Um, and obviously we have different strengths, but he, he knows what he does well, and he definitely, you know, amplifies that on the field. It's good. You guys are a good compliment because he was saying last week I talked to him. He's like, yeah, Jake throws into windows that, I mean, I couldn't even try and you can fit it in there. And then I'm thinking back, I think it was, yeah, it was Cal Poly down at the goal line. And they went kind of a QB sneak trying to get you over the top. It, it wasn't quite the same as Asher, was it? No, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> and, I, and we joke about it all the time. I'm yeah. like, man, I hope they get me in there at the one yard line. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll just do my Asher impression because you make it look so easy. And that's really what it is. He makes it look so easy. And, and I've and, and I know it's not. So I have a lot of respect for him and his game. And he puts his body on the line each and every week. And as a quarterback, that's that's really hard to do, um, obviously, because, you know, it's it's hard to be all banged up every every game and know that you're still going to get 15, 20 carries. So a lot of respect to him. He's a super tough competitor. Um, 
and, and I, I look forward to watching him run the ball and throw the ball every single game. Yeah, it's got to be fun for you guys to watch. I mean, you're only as good as your line, and your line's been amazing this year, but you're a skill player. So you're a lot of times getting it out to those guys or handing it to Scadaboo and Fulcher and watching. I mean, you got so much talent around you. Sometimes do you stop and just mouth open watching these guys do their thing? Yeah, I mean, we have talent everywhere especially on offense, and I think that, that goes back to the, the veteran experience that I talked about earlier. We have a lot of guys that played, you know, one, two seasons here. Even, you know, Pierre Williams, somebody who's been here for a while who kind of understands the game. But I'm glad you mentioned the O-line because a lot of the O-linemen are veterans too. Um, and like you said, it doesn't – the offense can't move without them, and they've been doing a great job. They keep me and Ash very healthy. They open up holes for, you know – Scadaboo and Fulcher and Tal Tolliver and Gable and all those guys that run the ball. Um, and they give us time to throw the ball, to those skill guys. So uh, hats off to our O-line. You know, you can't win a football game without them, and they've been doing a great job. And with when you have all that talent and playing quarterback, it's really about getting the ball to those, those players, you know, and letting them do special things with the ball in their hands. Um, and I feel like we're, we're able to mix it up and get – everybody the ball everybody involved and I think that makes our offense really dangerous because you can't really just highlight one guy or two guys because um, we'll, we'll get anybody involved and the, we trust that they're going to make a play so you've got the causeway coming up you've got hopefully more many more playoff games after that what's next for you once football as a Sacramento State Hornet is done what would you like to do I definitely would love to keep playing um, you know football is in my blood and um, I definitely feel like I've got a lot in the tank to, to still prove to myself and um, just having fun with it. You know, I'm loving each and every moment I'm out there. So uh, see what opportunities come my way, but really focused on this season and, and trying to finish off my senior year on a good note and accomplish everything that we can accomplish here and do things that have never really been done here. And um, those opportunities will come if they come. And if not, you know, you'll figure it out. But I'm just really blessed that I've graduated and I've, I've got a plan past football, but not in any rush to, to hang up the cleats by any means. I know your family comes out to games. I don't know who was responsible for it, but there's, I think it was the last home game. There's Jake Dunaway on a, like on a stick, your big head on a stick. And yeah. my brother-in-law went to the game. So he's put that picture. It's like on our backyard or it's on the window facing our, our living room. Yeah. So every morning I'm like, what's up, Jake? You're just <laughs> sitting right there. Um, the attention you get, the attention the team's getting, and the fun. I mean, how much, just overall, this has just got to be a thrill to have this be your final year and just you guys are going out with a bang. Yeah, it's great. You know, I don't, I personally don't know who made the stick. I saw it at a game just yeah. like everybody else. I was like, who, who's yeah. got my head on a stick? That's you don't kinda, have one? I don't have one. Okay. And I don't know who, I don't know the people that are holding them okay. either. So that's, that's. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. But it's pretty cool, you know, just to have that support from the city. And, yeah. you know, Coach Taylor's done a great job of, of bringing Sacramento to Hornet Stadium every week and mm -hmm. you know having a winning product that we're able to be proud of and and show to the whole city every week and for them to be proud of us and to want to support us is huge for us and you know we want to play for them as well so um, it's been a lot of fun you know you you see yourself in the airports and people mm -hmm. holding your your face on a stick it's a little surreal but <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that you know when you're on those on the field and in between the lines you got to do your job that's really what it comes down to. It doesn't matter how many cameras or lights or whatever. You know, we're just out there to play football and have fun, and, and that's what we've been doing. All right, and then the last thought, it's the causeway. I know you guys, Coach Taylor, does a great job of it's another game. Does it feel like just another, or is there a little bit more to it? I mean, we know there's a lot at stake. 
um, for both teams, you know, me personally, having been at Davis, you know, this, I look forward to this game every year and, um, I still got a lot of players on their team that I'm pretty close with and friends with. So, um, really looking forward to, but it is just another, you know, another game. You don't want to hype it up. Like it's more than it really needs to be because at the end of the day, you go through one drive having emotion and then the rest is just, you know, any other game. So you got to prepare like it's any other game and you got to be ready to execute like it's any other game. And you have to respect the opponent every single week because, you know, if you're not bringing your best stuff, then anybody can beat you in this league. So uh, we know that we got a lot to play for. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, but we really just want to execute and finish the season off on the right foot. Awesome. Jake, thanks for being with us. Best of luck Saturday, the playoffs, and, uh, and in your future. Yeah, thanks for having me. Again, my thanks to quarterback Jake Dunaway. Anxious for this game, anxious for the postseason. Now let's get some perspective on the matchup this week. We usually do our own preview, but now we got the voice of the Aggies, Scott Marsh, who has called the games on television, has called the games on the radio, and is ready to call this Causeway Classic this week. Scott and I have known each other for a long time. So, Scott, I guess the big question is, can we even talk right now? I thought about that because over the years, Jason, you and I are very good friends. But, of course, I've referred to you as the Benedict Arnold yes. of UC Davis. Of course, you're an Aggie graduate calling the games for the Hornets. But I've worked my way through that over the years. <laughs> Our friendship's more important. Uh, we've shared so many experiences about this causeway over the last three decades. So, absolutely, we can talk. Well, and the best part about it is I don't know how long you and I both have dreamt about scenarios. Like, could you imagine if the Aggies yes. and Hornets were ever good at the same time? and Scott, let's see, 2018, the Aggies were playing for a title, and they yes. won. The night, last two years, the Hornets have been playing for one. Now both teams are playing to get in. Actually, yeah. last year, both teams got in, too. This is great when yes. it really means this much. I totally agree, and I, I feel like uh, for Kings and Warriors fans, this is kind of the same, same uh, look where the Kings have been good in certain years, the Warriors have been good in a lot of years, but they haven't been good both at the same time. We've never seen the Kings and a Warriors matchup in the playoffs. They've never even been in the playoffs right. in the same year since the Kings have been here, 38 years. And that kind of feels like what the uh, UC Davis-Sacramento State rivalry has been, too. There's been years when the Aggies have been really good. To your point, there's been years when the Hornets have been really good. There haven't been years where the Causeway, both teams have come in really playing well, both playoff caliber teams, both really playing for something. And we finally have that this year. You told me when the Aggies were 1-4, and four, you said, we're good. This yeah. is a good team. What did you see then? Because obviously now they're yes. showing it. Well, I just felt last year, I mean, the Aggies at one point were 8-1 and one mm-hmm. last year. We were 5-0 and oh at yeah. one point. We started off fabulous. Um, but it didn't have the feel that that team was a national championship caliber team. And as we saw at the end, when the schedule got harder, injuries set in a little bit, the team faded, lost the last three games. Turn it over to this year. This team, to me, just at the start, was more experienced. You had Miles Hastings another year under his belt. Yolanzo Gilliam coming back after he went into the portal and could have transferred but came back. The defense was deep. Coach Hawkins came out and said he thought it was the best team in school history. Some scoffed at it. But when I saw them through the first five weeks, I said, this is a very good team. We had chances at Cal. We, we could have won that game, and it could have, should have, would have, doesn't matter, but we played well. We played well on the road at Montana State, a very good team, as you know. Weber State game, we probably should have won that game. We outbeat them in the turnover margin three to nothing. We missed three field goals. We missed the two-point conversion. We went for or we kicked the field goal on fourth and less than a yard. So the point there is we narrowly lost 17-12 to a top-five caliber team. So you're one in four, but you're feeling, boy, we've got a good team. We've got a run coming here, and that's what we've seen winning five straight now. And credit to them, Coach Hawkins and the staff, for 
keeping them together because one and four yeah. could go the other way. And sure. Go, it's a good team, but it just yeah. kind of fizzled, but took advantage of things. And then let's go to last week yeah. because, all right, the Aggies are hot, scoring 50 on everybody, but now you're playing a really good team. But the way you beat Idaho, oh, yeah. was that the best they've played this year? I honestly think the first half of that game against Idaho is maybe the best first half I've ever seen any UC Davis team ever play in the 30 years I've been around that program. That's how dominant the effort was. They lost the coin toss, so they took the ball normally when they win the coin toss. And they've won like eight of the last nine this season, so they're always deferring getting it in the third quarter. This time they got the ball. They marched down the field 75 yards, didn't throw one pass, just ran it, ran it, ran it, scored easily. At the end of the first half, they had five offensive possessions, five scores, four of them touchdowns. Defense was dominant, up 31-7. to This is an Idaho team that you know Mm -hmm. you had to rally in the last two minutes to come back to win at home, 31-28. to This is a team that beat Montana. This was a team at full strength. So it it tells you where the Aggies are at right now. They're they're rolling right now. Yeah, they picked the right time, right, obviously coming in. So let's kind of go to each side. We'll start with the offense where you mentioned Hastings, more experienced, more comfortable. Not really turnover prone, and then Gilliam is as good as anybody out there. But what are the strengths of your offense? Well, you just named them right there. <laughs> There's no doubt. Let's talk about Miles first because we'll get into Yolanzo. Because, in my opinion, um, if the Walter Payton Award was a career award, he would win it this year. Mm-hmm. You know, his individual numbers this year may be good enough. We can talk about that. But Miles Hastings is really the, the significant difference to the team because. In fall camp, it wasn't even known for sure he was going to be the starter. Dan Hawkins, the week of the Cal game, left it open as to who would be starting that game. Now, Hastings, since that Cal game, has thrown for over 74% completion mark. In the last five games, it's over 80%. I mean, he's just not throwing interceptions, let alone in completions right now. He is so comfortable in the offense. He's thrown the 16 different receivers this year, 11 half touchdowns, 7 over 10 catches. I mean, multiple wide receivers getting involved. And his emergence as the leader, you know, just three weeks ago, Yolanzo Gilliam made him a third-team captain just individually said, you're a team captain now, and everybody just bought in, and that's how much they are behind this guy. So that's huge, right? You've got to have a good quarterback in the big sky, just like the NFL or any other football conference. Yolanzo Gilliam truly is putting up Walter Payton Award numbers. You know, 173 yards, three touchdowns last week, all on the ground. He's the all-time rushing touchdown leader at UC Davis. He's the all-time scorer at UC Davis. He's the all-time yardage rusher leader at UC Davis. He is now third all-time in receptions caught. You can't name an offensive stat that he's not a part of. And Jason, I I truly believe this just from an accomplishment factor at UC Davis. Yolanzo Gilliam is the most significant player in UC Davis football history. Wow. More so than Ken O'Brien, more so than Keelan Doss, more so than anybody who's come through. You just look at his numbers and what he's doing, and especially this year what he's doing. I mean, I think that's a fair statement to make. Not that he'll be the greatest pro to come out of UC Davis, but just what he's done in his time. And he's had some help because of the pandemic. He's had the extra year. So the the numbers, he's had more games to some extent. But in my opinion, his numbers are the most dominant of any player to ever play at Davis. Can he sit out this week? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. Um, and it's not just him, too. Lane Larison's a good run. I mean, Larison's been great, too. Yeah, yeah there, there's a one-two punch. Larison is... You know, and again, this is slight hyperbole, but I'm just using it for example purposes. But he's kind of the Christian McCaffrey of the Aggies. He runs with it. He he catches the ball well out of the backfield, and he throws it too. He has a touchdown pass this year. I mean, he's a guy who I want to see have a catch, a run, and a throw for a touchdown in a game. Yeah. 
um, receivers, tight ends, kind of break that down. Where, where are the Aggies going into this game with that? Let's start with tight ends because McAllen Castles is a true All-American. Some people think he's the best NFL prospect on the team. They have NFL scouts coming to every practice for them. So, and he, He's been graded. And Hastings and Castles just have good chemistry. That's a guy that Hastings relies on to get big catches. Josh Gale has really come on. He's only got like six or seven catches, but four of them are touchdowns, and three of the catches are over 50 yards. He's an explosive tight end. And then Blake Thorpe, who was injured, is now back, and that helps a ton. Wide receivers have been a bit banged up. And, you know, if there's one mark on the Davis offense, it's they don't have a big, long threat. Mm-hmm. They don't have that guy who's going to blaze down the field past the secondary and just outthrow them. That's not what the Davis offense is about with wide receivers, but they have multiple wide receivers. Uh, Justin Kraft has been banged up. Chaz Davis has been banged up, but Justin Poirier has stepped up and had a couple touchdown catches against Pal, uh, Cal Poly and had a big week last week at Idaho. So they've got multiple threats at that position. And, and C.J. Hutton is a guy who is kind of like that Wes Walker, Russ Wes Welker, there we go. We can get that right. But he's a guy who will get the uh, catches in the seams. He's a guy who can run the fly sweeps. He is really a versatile wide receiver for the Aggies. And then is Tompkins still kind of the jack of all trades? Like He's the might, Swiss knife. Yeah, might do everything for you guys. He's the guy you're going to see in some magic packages. Yeah. They ran him on a couple fly sweeps. He's also a slot receiver now. He returns punts. He does everything for them and absolutely a key part of everything. All those pieces work if you have a good line. How's the Aggies O-line this year? That might be the best part of the team, in all honesty. And they lost Jake Parks, who was an All-American right guard, lost him in the Cal game, has not played since. That was a massive loss. And for them to overcome that has been incredible. And Connor Pettick, who is another fifth-year senior, who is also, I think, an All-American caliber center, was banged up, missed a couple of games. The depth on the line has been huge, and – the holes that they're opening across from Nicomoa at left tackle to Nico Sorali at the right tackle. I mean, it's a real strength of this team. Let's flip then. Let's go to yep. defense. Um, what are you looking like on the Aggies' defensive side? Defense is definitely improved from a year ago. And I, I think when Dan Hawkins was talking about the Aggies being the best team in school history this year, what I really think he was saying is they're the deepest mm. team ever in school history. And it shows up on the defensive side probably more than anywhere else, especially with the linebackers. It really starts with Teddy Buchanan, who uh, is a Buck Buchanan candidate, uh, just a sophomore electric player, four interceptions already this year, a great individual tackler. Uh, They're extremely deep at that position. Cam Trimble, Nick Eaton. Uh, The line has been really good. Zach Kennedy stepped up and had a a really big year, a couple of huge sacks in the Idaho game. Evan Bearden's a transfer from tight end, now playing on the D-line. And then the, the corners, Day-Day King's the all-time leading t- uh, solo tackler now in UC Davis history. He is a lockdown corner. Jordan Perryman, who would have been on the other side, transferred to Washington, is now maybe the best Huskies defender, mm-hmm. but Jahiel Budget stepped in and played well. So the corners are good. Rex Connors, a redshirt freshman, now a Jerry Rice watch candidate, is maybe the most explosive secondary player that UC Davis has ever had. That's how good he is. And Chris Venable, who missed the Idaho game, is supposed to come back for this one. So that the secondary is, is, is good. This this defense is good. In general, I, I know we see both teams, Davis and mm-hmm. Sac State, when 
playing Montana, Montana State. I feel like big teams. Yep. Are, is Davis big, fast? Where, where are they defensively? A faster defense or a bigger defense? You know, I, I kind of feel like it's a combination of both because, yeah. you know, to your point, I think the one knock about UC Davis and maybe, you know, Sacramento State is that they don't have the, the depth and size to match up with the Montanas mm-hmm. and the Idahos. That, that's not the case anymore. I mean, Davis was dominant on both sides of the line against the Vandals, and you know how good that team is. So, uh, you know, Chuba Ma'ai in the middle is 6'2", 360. And then he comes out, Princeton Toki comes in, and he's all of 6'1", 340. <laughs> and then you got Noah Masui who comes in at 6'2", 315. And Josiah Sawani who's 6'2", 300. Man. I mean, it's like the depth there at that nose tackle position is incredible. But the speed with the backers in the secondary is as good as I've ever seen it. Special teams, game could come down to that, whether yep. it's return game, coverages, and then kicking and punting. How do you feel Davis is doing there? Much better. You know, Isaiah Gomez got off to a little bit of a rocky start. You know, he was like three of nine at one point, missed a couple of PATs, had one of them blocked. He's made his last 14 field goal attempts. He is peaking. He says he's kicking the ball as good as he ever has. He feels like he can kick it from 60 yards wow. if he had to. So I don't know about that part of it. Uh, but uh, field goal kicking has, has been very good. Punting, they're using two punters. So Henry Reich is kind of the red zone punter when they want to pin down inside the 20. Justin Dwinell is a the guy they're using for longer kicks. Uh, and then the return game, Larison's explosive. He's had a touchdown return on a kickoff in his career. He's a guy who could go anytime he wants. And then Trent Tompkins is the punt returner. He hasn't had a big punt return this year per se, but he can break one anytime. I'm thinking on both sides. Let's kind of go through each angle here. If Davis wins, yeah. there's no doubt they're in the playoffs, right? I hope not. I mean, the thing that I can't really believe, and again, you and I know this, the, the, the rankings be nothing. Right. It's the FCS selection committee, but how can Davis not be in the top 25 in the coaches poll right now? Well, the coaches poll. I that, know they're just mailing the it in, and right. who knows, it's the grad assistant. But right. just even having said that, right. how is that possible? And even in the media poll, you still have Idaho ranked well above right. UC Davis. You have Montana way above Idaho, and Idaho's beaten them. It makes right. no sense. There are 24 teams getting in. To your point, I feel like it's an absolute no-brainer, yeah. but I'm not just – not feeling a hundred percent until it actually happens. Uh, okay, I, yeah, I see. But I that. agree. I agree with I you. I think they're in. Now, I agree with you. The other question, though, is if they didn't yes. win, I don't know. But I think there's a really good argument for them. What do you think yeah. if they're six and five? Well, I think if all things were just being looked at and you were taking the best twenty-four teams in the country, UC Davis is in. There's right. no question. I think there's six teams from the Big Sky, which. Sounds like a lot. There is precedent. The Missouri Valley's yeah. had that before. Last year. Uh, so I, I feel like every team's deserving there. You know, a 6-5 and five UC Davis team, if it came down to choosing between that and an Idaho team that's going to beat Idaho State this week and finish at 7-4, and four, where do you choose there? Is the head-to-head more important than having one extra win? You know, those are things that the selection committee are going to weigh upon. And, of course, Montana has got the challenging game at Montana State. They could easily lose, and then they've got four losses. So Montana and UC Davis have not played. Who's got the better resume? How's it all come down? And then you've only got 11 at-large bursts. True. You know, so it's not like there's this infinite number of wild card teams, per se, that you can pick from. But to your point, if – we do pull off what would be an upset against Sacramento State. There's no doubt. Um, I think the team's not only deserving of being in the playoffs, but I think it should be a seeded team with a home first-round game. What's so interesting is thinking back to about a year ago, you brought it up earlier, Scott, that Aggies were 8-1, and one, lost to Eastern right before Sac yep. State. And you're, in the Fog Bowl. <laughs> everybody knew they were going, though. You yes. guys knew you were going to be yes. a playoff team, but I don't think you felt 
as good as you do now. Like it would have been a playoff team that yes. maybe might win a round or two. Yeah. Where now it's like if you get in, yeah, you guys could go a long way, if not the whole way. Yeah. It's just can they get in? It's it's weird. I the agree difference. with that. I agree with that. Last year's team. I mean, of course they went to South Dakota State expecting to win. The team did. Sure. Anybody outside the program really felt they were going to lose in the right. first round last year. Uh, just the circumstances going into it, some of the injuries, all of that, and, and sure enough, they got they got shellacked at, at South Dakota State. So this year's team, I I honestly feel, and I feel like there's a lot of teams that can, because Sacramento State can too. But I honestly feel UC Davis can win a national championship this year. It would not shock me mm-hmm. to see them in Frisco, Texas, if they get yeah. into the tournament. I think they're that good. Yeah, that's how that's how awesome this game should be. Yeah. and by all accounts. I'm thinking close to 20,000, you know, Aggie fans will be yeah. there. And you and I were talking, uh, you know, before this, even the rivalry is still there, yeah. but it feels like both teams have gotten to a point not to eliminate the rivalry is not the right term, but they both have bigger and better goals too. And it's not to diminish Sack or Davis. Yeah. It's just, they both are that good now that they think they can do this whole thing. The rivalry matters for the media. Mm-hmm. It matters for the alums. It matters for everybody outside the two programs. This is my personal opinion. I don't think Dan Hawkins or Troy Taylor care one bit about a rivalry yeah, this week. They They're not even thinking about it. It's another game to yeah. them. It's an important game. The players might be a little bit more juiced about that fact, but ultimately they're focusing in on bigger things than that. And I think it's true of anything in a season. If you look at rivalries, they matter more when other things are less important, right? So that big game versus USC and UCLA means a lot when there's not a lot of other things on the line. The big game, Cal Stanford, well, usually those teams aren't competing for big things. So that game is the game on the schedule. That's how the Causeway used to be. It used to be the game on the schedule because neither team was competing for yeah. a lot, right? Especially in the D1 era. Um, but this year, there's so much more than the rivalry. But having said that, from an outside perspective, this is the game that matters. This yeah. is it. I mean, this is bragging rights. This is like for the city of Sacramento. Sacramento State's gotten all the attention this year, deservedly so. But you cannot tell me that does not eat at the UC Davis football team, the staff, everything else. This is a huge game for attention, for donors, for everything else. And so we can't underestimate that. But for the teams, you're right. I don't think they care one bit about whether they beat the Hornets or not. They yeah. want to win the game. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, game's over. And if we look at it as an Aggie win, Aggies are 99% mm-hmm. certain they're going to the postseason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they beat Sac State. Like, yes. that's the byproduct. Mm-hmm. If the Hornets yes. win, oh, they went 11-0. and They might be the one seed. Oh, and they beat UC Davis. Right. It's not like – it's an add-on, but yeah. it's not the end-all, be-all. Agreed with that. And I, I will say just, you know, on the Sacramento State side, and you can speak better to it, you know, the one thing for the Hornets, it's it's been the best year in school history, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And the cap off an undefeated season would be amazing and possibly a number one overall yeah. seed going into the tournament. All those things would be fabulous. But, you know, in the big picture of things, it's like, you know, the Hornets have had home field advantage in the playoffs a couple True. of times and they unable to come through, you know. So it's like the important part of the season is coming up now with the yeah. playoffs. And it's like, what do you do in terms of getting to Frisco, Texas at that point? Right. You're right. Because a win over Davis would be great, Yeah, but their true evaluation is winning that first playoff yeah. game. And they haven't done it for whatever reason. Um, and they'll have their chance to do that. But They will. And the thing of it too is again, the way seedings go and let's just say UC Davis does get in. Uh-huh. Um, I think there's a great chance they can match up in a second-round playoff game, Almost too. Almost happened last year, right? Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, UC Davis can't play a team in the first round they've played already in the year. So that probably means that UC Davis is playing Montana. 
Mm. Maybe, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's one possibility with that seed going to Sac State afterwards. Right. Man. So this could be just the first of a couple conversations. Yeah. Is it Saturday yet? I can't wait. I'm yeah. fired up. And I will just say I'm really disappointed that there's not a Causeway luncheon yeah. this year. There's not the press conference with both sides coming together. I really miss that. And, again, the teams aren't focused on that. Right. To them, it was just a distraction. You know, but for fans, for media, for everything else, that's that's a big part of what the week should all be about, and I am I am disappointed about that. You and I both were Kings games, and I'll just say, even being out there, hearing more people, mm-hmm. wow, Sac State, wow, Davis, oh, yeah. what do you think of the game? It's gonna be awesome, twenty thousand people. It's it's just getting more attention. It yeah. deserves it, and I'm glad yeah. it's getting the attention. Yeah, you know the the FCS is getting more attention. It's game day's focused on it now. It's in Bozeman this week, and everything else. And the truth of it is, uh, there's not much difference between the Big Sky and Mountain West at no. all. You've beaten a Mountain West right. team. We've beaten a Mountain West team yeah. before. There, I mean, the, the the dividing line is small yeah. right now in college football, and the Big Sky is the SEC of FCS football. You guys won at the FBS last year. Hornets did this year. Both teams played Cal in the last year. Both competed. Could have won. Yeah. You're right. There's not a large difference. They have they have maybe they have more scholarships and maybe it's stretched out the depth. Mm-hmm. But I mean, honestly, you put Davis and Sac State in the Mountain West, they're doing just fine. I think they do well. And to the point, you guys were favored against Colorado yeah. State going into the game. Right. Now it wasn't even an upset when you beat them. So you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the long term with football. I don't care about that right now. Yeah. I just care about this Saturday. week and what happens this year. <laughs> but you know, to the point, like. Both sides have risen their game big time. Yeah. Sacramento State and UC Davis are now legitimate national championship caliber programs. And that's what's doing it. You guys started in 18 and keep kept mm-hmm. it going. Hornets in 19 and have kept it going. So it makes this fun. Scott, yeah. thank you. Uh, have fun on Saturday. I can't wait. Now, I won't speak to you now for the remainder of the We're week. Done. We got this, this through. We cut it off until after <laughs> the game, but it's been great being on the podcast. Thank you so much. All right. We just heard from Scott Marsh giving us some perspective on the UC Davis Aggie side of things. What about the game itself? Let's find out a little bit more as far as the events on Saturday. Andy Fisk, Senior Associate AD, also External Affairs, is joining us now. Andy, we know we got a huge game Saturday, but what else is going on for the Causeway for all the fans that are coming to the game? Yeah, well, we're all excited this week. Uh, it's always a big week, this uh, Causeway Classic week for both sides of the Causeway, um, for Sac State and the school on the other side of the Causeway. Uh <laughs> Thursday night, we've got a kickoff party at Sack Yard from 5 to 7. Um, we're going to have members of our coaching staff, uh, cheer team, band. We invited the folks from the other side of the causeway. We haven't heard back from them, but uh, we hope they join. It's, it's all in fun. Um, on game day, uh, the tailgate opens at 10 a.m. Uh, with the game at 2 o'clock. There's still tickets available uh, Hornetsports.com. Tickets are starting at $25. We'd love to have a capacity crowd. Uh, we're expecting a, a close capacity crowd, if not capacity crowd. So we're all excited here for the game this week. I, I love how you put that, the school across the causeway. I, I got this sent in. I've asked for feedback on this podcast. Someone kind of sent me uh, who has it better. So I'm going to ask you this. Andy, you spent some time at <clears> – <throat> that school across the causeway. And of course, now you're with Sacramento state. So I was asked who has the better stadium, Aggie stadium or Hornet stadium. Well, if, if you're from the Sacramento area, you know, uh, you know, Hornet stadium is it's, it's got a lot of character. Um, it's a lot bigger. Uh, we have a brand new press box. Uh, there's a lot there, you know, but Aggie stadium, uh, actually UC Davis health stadium is a great stadium. 
you know, they've done a good job building it up. But I, I'm curious to see what it looks like when it's all grown up. Uh, it only holds 11,000 to our 22,000. So uh, when it gets when it gets all grown up, I'm curious to see if it's still as nice as it is, as it is now. Okay. How about the, this one was sent my way? School slogans. We see we hear Aggie pride versus stingers up. Well, stingers up. I mean, we have a hornet. You know, stingers up. It kind of ties in with what we are. Aggie, you know, it, it ties in our hornet and how, how strong we are. But you know, Aggie Pride, the only problem about Aggie Pride is, you know, Pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Not quite sure I want that in there, you know, like with lust, gluttony, and greed. And so I have to say Stingers Up is a little bit better. Okay. Uh, mascots, this is interesting. Gunrock versus Herky. Man, once again, Herky, the Hornet, the strong, powerful singer. He's great. You know, he's, I think he's one of the best college mascots around. Uh, Davis has a blue horse called Gunrock. I mean, even their own students voted to, to change to a cow. So I think it tells you that uh, Herky is, is probably the better mascot. All right, I got another one here, and feel free to not answer this one. Again, this was sent in by a listener here. A better athletic director. That's, that's walking a tough line here. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think uh, that one's really hard for me. You know, Rocco and I are good friends. Uh, I consider him a friend. We still talk occasionally. He does a great job over there. He's done a great job at his time as 80 and even before that. Uh, but Mark, hey, Mark's done a great job here. His record of hiring coaches, um, all he's done. Uh, I think I have to go with Mark, plus he pays me. So he, he's the one He's the one who, who wins in my book. But uh, uh, with Rocco, too. His, his real name isn't, or his first name isn't Rocco. So uh, I have to give that to, to Mark. Well said. Well said. Smart move there, Andy. Last one. Yeah. This might be my own uh, addition, but <clears throat> broadcasters. Oh, I, I don't know where that came from. I added that one. Feel free to. Wow. Wow. That's a tough one. You know, as you know, I oversaw the broadcasters when I had my time at Davis. So I know, uh, you know, Scott Marsh and Doug Kelly and Greg Wong and. Scott Gordon, who's over there now, is a good yeah. friend of mine. But uh, I think my guys, which are you guys, <laughs> probably take the lead. But, I, but those guys are great also. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, one more plug here, uh, Andy, for tickets, hornetsports.com. Let's let's see if we can get that thing full. Yeah, we, we'd love to have as many people as we can. Wear your green. Show your, uh, your, your, your hornet enthusiasm. And we, we hope to see you all out there and, it should be a great game. It's, there's a lot of, um, at stake. Uh, the Hornets are going for a perfect season. The Aggies are fighting for a, a playoff spot, and they've, done, they've got a great team over there. Uh, don't let their record uh, fool you. They are a, a strong team also. So we're really excited for, for a wonderful game this weekend. It's going to be awesome. Andy, we'll see you on Saturday. Thank you. All right, there's Andy Fisk. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, get your tickets at hornetsports.com. We want to see everybody out there for the Causeway. It should be a massive showdown. We'll be back next week to recap that, tell you about the Hornets' playoff journey, where their roadmap looks like, and uh, recap this whole thing like we said. We thank you for listening. Thank you to Danny Sullivan, to Jake Dunaway, to Scott Marsh, to Andy Fisk, and to all of you. That's it for another edition of the Stingers Up podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ross. We'll talk to you next week. Stingers Up!